probably heard the saying from the British historian Lord Acton. Actually, I didn't know that's who said it, but I found out that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. We've all heard that, I think. Um, a person's sense of morality lessens as their power or authority increases. Now, you can't debate that, right? Human history, our modern political landscape, the world as it is, bears this out almost without debate. The more power someone has, the more corrupted they are. But for one exception. One exception. Ironically, the exception of the tried and true rule that absolute power does corrupt absolutely is the one who actually had absolute power. The power of His Word and the authority Jesus had were evident in verses 31 to 44 of chapter 4 when He cast out demons and healed sickness and disease and maladies with the very word of His mouth. It was evident again as we saw last week in 5, 1 through 11 when He brought so many fish into the nets of Peter, James, and John that their nets were breaking and their boats were sinking. Jesus Christ had absolute power over everything. His authority is unmatched. Now imagine, just imagine, if any politician you know of today had that level of power and authority, it would be terrifying. It would be an absolute disaster for the human race. Imagine if any world leader you can think of, past, present, or future, had that kind of power and authority. It's a terrifying thought. Now imagine that the one who did have all that power and authority used it to forgive people of their sins. To pronounce that sinners would be reconciled to God. To pronounce that amnesty had been granted to His enemies. Imagine the one with all this authority who used it to give and to serve, give to and to serve others rather than to take from and get from others. This is Jesus Christ who uses His absolute power and authority to forgive our sins. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. God, would You help me today? Would You hold me up for the preaching of this text and for the message You breathed into it that You desire Your people to hear and to know and to believe? And for those that are unbelieving, to see their need for Christ and receive Him, Father, I ask that You would accomplish this through the proclamation of Your Word if You will hold me up to preach it. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Luke chapter 5, verse 12 is where we pick it up this morning. Luke 5.12 While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged them to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, this section opens by telling us that Jesus was right, uh, or was right where he said he was going, doing exactly what he said he was going to do. He was in a city preaching the kingdom of God, which we now know is accompanied apparently by the healing of the sick. 
This particular man was full of leprosy, the text says. Most likely some form of what we now refer to usually as Hansen's disease, which in Leviticus 13 to 14, um, of course, uh, it's not called Hansen's disease there, but what we know of is that covered this wide range biblically of ritually defiling skin maladies that would have been something like very severe cases of psoriasis or eczema or favosa or leukoderma. This kind of leprosy might have included Hansen's disease, but it certainly wasn't limited to that. If you had this skin disorder and were sick and decaying, that's what you had. That meant that he was one of the walking dead in Jewish society. Whatever form of it he had, he had the worst possible case of it one could have. The, the Levitical Code of Israel required him then to wear torn clothes. That's what he would have been dressed in, so that he's signified as that. Let his hair hang loose, un, untended. If anyone got close to him, he had to cover his mouth by law and yell, unclean, unclean, so that nobody came near him. He was so contagious. He couldn't live at home. He wasn't allowed to in the law. He had to live by himself, maybe with other lepers. He was not allowed to go to the synagogue. He was not allowed to join in public worship. He could never socialize normally. He would never be allowed to hug his kids if he had them. Never be allowed to hug his wife if he was married. His relatives could leave him food at a designated place for him to pick up if they were able to. But he was completely cut off from human contact. It was an absolutely miserable existence. He was the very definition of unclean in Israel, physically, socially, all of this. Could you imagine what that would do to you psychologically, over time, emotionally, spiritually? God, where are you? Why am I suffering like this? But one had come to his city, I think Mark tells us, I think it's Capernaum, whom he has heard has the power to heal. Now, this man has no other options. So he's in the perfect position to receive Jesus. And his posture, physical posture, shows us that. Look at the second part of verse 12 again. When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, forget for a moment the saying, the bracelets and all that campaign for a while, what would Jesus do? You and I can't do what Jesus would do, first of all. Right? It's such a funny thing. You know, if, if you're out on a boat with your friends in the middle of a, you know, the sea, or just think of, you know, what's the closest giant lake? Lake Erie. And you're in the middle of the sea, no shore in sight, and a raging storm comes about. What would Jesus do? Well, what are you going to do? Right? You can't do, you and I can't do usually what Jesus would do. Instead ask, what has Jesus done? Jesus did what no thinking person allegedly would have done, or any person who was a stickler with the law would have done. Anytime somebody wants to defend not going into the hard places or brushing up against the hard people and the difficult things that might get you in trouble or might get you looked down upon or might even get you hurt, people will try to excuse not doing those things by saying, well, the Lord would want us to use wisdom. I suppose that's fair. But is it wise to put your hands on a leper? Is it wise to touch those that could give you a debilitating, socially ruining disease just by a touch? Because that's what Jesus did. 
Notice the leper's words, his desperation and his faith. He says, if you will, if you will it, you can make me clean. Now, in a sense, that's heartbreaking. Because it is, he doesn't word it like that he wants the physical healing, which of course he does, and that's what it entails. But the first desire he has is to be clean, to not be alone anymore, to not be ostracized anymore. That's how it comes out. If you will, you can make me clean. We don't know how much this man knew about Jesus, but he did believe Jesus had the power of God. That's literally his only hope, and he clings to it with everything that he has. He can't even worry about how pitiful he would look begging, about his appearance and what Jesus or others might think of him. He needs healing more than he needs his pride and more than he needs his reputation. He needs Jesus to be Jesus for him. Now, what does the one do whose will and whose power determines in this moment whether or not this man is healed? He speaks and acts in favor of the leper. I will. I will it. Be clean. I do will that. And I will do that. He says. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Why? Because Jesus willed it. Because Jesus willed it. Immediately, the leprosy left him. When Jesus speaks to give to those in need... What he speaks occurs. He conforms to the Levitical code, Leviticus 12 to 26, by sending the leper to show himself to the priest and make an offering. That's what's commanded specifically if leprosy is removed or goes away in Leviticus 14, 1 to 32. But then he also breaks from Israel's purity code because he touches the leper. You can't do that. Now, Jesus isn't breaking the law here. He never did that. He's actually fulfilling it. He's actually doing what the law required. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that God is pleased with this and not angry with this? Because when he touches him, Jesus himself, instead of becoming unclean, remains clean and even more cleanses the leper. This is the beloved son with whom God is well pleased. Obviously. Jesus doesn't get contaminated by touching us. We are made clean by touching Him. He will come right to you in the midst of what is the most unclean, shameful thing about you. He will come to you, right to you, in that. He doesn't say, get cleaned up so I can come close. No, He cleans people up so He comes close. Let leprosy here stand in for whatever it is you think makes you too dirty for Jesus to touch you. You aren't. You aren't. You aren't. It is there that He wills to make you clean. Remember, you are His wife. He makes us beautiful. This encounter serves as the foundation for the next two here. The healing of leprosy is a picture now. We're meant to see it. That's a picture of what Jesus does with His Word as it pertains to the forgiveness of sins. Making clean. Right? The real reason Jesus came preaching. We pick it up in verse 17. 
On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Right. Power. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, power, right? Power, absolute power. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately, there's that word again, immediately, he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Luke tips us off here to the fact that Jesus is starting to garner some unwanted attention. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, as this next scene opens there in verse 17. Right, you have a man acting with great power and authority, and that's a threat to other structures of power and authority. He's doing these amazing things, and rumor has it that he actually touched a leper, right? The law police, the sin sheriffs, they're on the case now. They're going to get to the bottom of this Jesus character. But that didn't matter because the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And this scene, this scene spells out perfectly for us that healing people was for the sake of his preaching. And what that preaching proclaimed. A group of friends, very good friends by the way, bring one of their own to Jesus for healing. Well, there are so many crowded around him, including the law police, who are really just in the way now, that the friends have to come up with a different plan. Again, that's great faith. They believe Jesus can make their friend well. They believe it. So we got to get to him. And the crowd won't get in the way. we got to get to him. They go up on the roof. They peel it up. It's much different from modern roofs, right? These were kind of thatched or weaved together, and they could pull it apart. Find a way to let him down on his bed right in front of Jesus. Now, I'm sure that caused no small commotion. In verse 20, when he saw their faith, their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Beloved, how great is this Jesus? When is he ever prevented from forgiving somebody's sins? How much authority does he have? He forgives the paralyzed man's sins because of the faith of his friend, of his friends. What is that all about? But remember, they hadn't really come for that. He's still on his bed. So I'm sure, you know, I'm not sure, but maybe they're thinking, great, thank you for that. That's awesome. But he is paralyzed. So maybe if, if you know, if you could address that also, 
Now look at what happens in verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question. This is happening in their hearts. They're not even saying it yet. Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Only human beings would call God blasphemous. Only us. Who can forgive sins but God alone? When we are convinced that we are in the right, when we are sure that we're acting righteously, when we are sure that the intentions of our heart is pure, which, why would we ever think that? The Bible tells us we, we, we can't, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? But we think we can. We, we will convince ourselves that we are in the right, that our intentions are pure, especially when it comes to matters like this. And when we're thinking like that, when we're sure of that, we will blind ourselves to the insurmountable gap that still remains between us and the holiness that God requires. We will start thinking that our doctrine, our righteousness, our intentions are so pure, we couldn't possibly be in the wrong. And we are most, we are in the most danger spiritually in that way of thinking. Because when you are thinking like that, not even Jesus is off limits to our self-righteousness. We would accuse God of blasphemy. Well, God won't and can't go against His Word. So that's not what's happening here. You don't have a, a blasphemer in front of you that's going against God. They don't believe Jesus is God, so their theology is wrong even when it's right. It's true that only God can forgive sins. What's their problem? They don't believe Jesus is God. So they say this insane thing about Him. They are wrong to accuse Jesus of not having authority to forgive sins when in fact He is God in human flesh. Now notice what Jesus does here. He asks them, which thing is easier for me to say? Right. So you're trying to figure out what I'm all about. What thing is easier for me to say? Right. What thing is easier because I don't have to prove it? Is it easier to say, hey, your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say, if I want people to believe me, rise up and walk? To a layman, a paralyzed man. Well, it's much easier to say to somebody, your sins are forgiven. Right? There's no proof required for that. And mark that. Mark what Jesus is doing here. There's no proof of that. Like that, that we need to see to know whether or not it's there. There's no proof required for the word of Jesus spoken to the sinner. You don't see the forgiveness of sins. Note that, because we want to say sometimes, if you were really forgiven of your sins, you would act like this. You would do that. You would never do that. You would never do this. You would only do this. And we just... Says who? We've taken the command to bear fruit that is pleasing to God and made it into like, if I don't see the fruit I want to see, I'm going to question your salvation. That's like calling Jesus a blasphemer. Because Jesus said, I said they're forgiven. What are you doing? 
Why are you policing what I have accepted? The evidence of forgiveness, I mean, sometimes there's proof, absolutely. Hopefully there's always proof and a lot of it. But the evidence of forgiveness is not what verifies forgiveness. Forgiveness is not verified by the evidence. The word and the blood of Jesus Christ verify forgiveness. Full stop. If he's there, if his word is there, if his blood is there, sins are forgiven. His point is that it requires proof that someone has the power to do what he says, though. If he says something like rise and walk. Now that you have to prove. Because if the person doesn't rise and walk, you're a charlatan. If that lame man doesn't get up and walk, Jesus is a fraud. And if it appears that Jesus is a fraud, people will not believe they've received the forgiveness of sins when he says they have. Therefore, Jesus also says things when he preaches like rise and walk to lame people. Verse 24 again. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Now what's clear is that it is just as much true that his sins has been forgiven, that he's no longer paralyzed. They're both true. Jesus can do what appears easy and what appears impossible. What you don't have to prove and what you can prove. He does it all. Absolute power. Absolute authority. Why does Jesus do these amazing things? To show off? No, no, no. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's the most important thing there is to know in the universe. There will always be those that try to explain away the signs and miracles of Jesus. You can even see it kind of there in verse 26. That maybe over time it becomes, well, I, you know, I can't really explain it, but it was pretty amazing. You know, I don't know, but it was, it was amazing. Well, yeah, over time you can explain things away, even things you saw with your own eyes. So that's not really going to prove anything, right? You, you can, you, know, you, you can show proof and people, if they don't want to believe it, it doesn't matter how much proof that you show, right? Michigan fans don't want to believe their team's a cheater, but all the evidence is right there, right? So, That's the way it is. Why? Why? Would you ever listen to Jesus? Right? There will always be those that try to explain away the signs and miracles of Jesus. But the declaration that your sins have been forgiven, you see, no human can question that. They can, but it doesn't matter because they're not the ones that have the authority to determine whether sins are forgiven. God has said to Jesus, you are allowed to forgive their sins. And I'm sending you to preach precisely that fact to the entire world. Why would you ever come to church? Right? Why would you ever take time out of your day to come to church? Why would you ever believe the amazing stories in this book? Why would you ever care where you stand with God? Because God's Son has the authority to forgive your sins. This is the heart of God for you. Right? Absolute power always corrupts men, absolutely. But Jesus is man and God. And Jesus uses his absolute power. All authority in heaven and on earth now have been given to him to forgive sins. 
to justify the ungodly. Receive Him. He is for you. This is His word to you, not Tony's. His word to you. So now Luke gives us here in closing one more story to show that Jesus has authority to forgive sins. And this time, it's as if he's addressing the first and most common objection to the issue of the forgiveness of sins. Okay, sins can be forgiven, but what about this guy? What about that lady? What about when you've done this sin or that sin? Does Jesus have authority to forgive all of those things? All sins, everything, all kinds of people. Verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The call of Levi, a.k.a. Matthew, is very matter-of-fact in the text, but this would have been an absolute scandal. A scandal. Tax collectors in Israel were mostly Jewish citizens, almost exclusively Jewish citizens who had been hired by the Romans to, to um, collect taxes and tolls on caravan goods for the sake of Rome, who was an alien occupying force in Israel. This is way worse than any connotation we have about tax agents, right? This is working for the army, the empire that took over your land by killing its citizens and setting up its power there. Talk about a traitor. Because you can make money off them. You would work for them. These men were hated by kosher Israelites. They were collaborators with the Romans. Or they were their lackeys. And they tended to be cheats. They took a little for themselves too. They had the authority of Rome. They could say you owed whatever they wanted you to owe. As long as Rome got their money, you could keep whatever else you could extort from them. Your own countrymen. Someone like Levi could have been, or would have been, sorry, disqualified from being a judge or a witness in court. That wasn't allowed if you were a tax collector. He would have been excommunicated from the synagogue. If Jesus is going to call a low life like this, it would have been a scandal indeed. Why make it so hard on yourself at the beginning, Jesus? You're just getting started in Luke. Why would you do something that would make everything harder for you? Are you sure you want to start off like this and bring so much trouble and unwanted attention? Just stay in your lanes. Don't ruffle any feathers when you're starting out. No, 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 beloved, no. What does he have to be afraid of? Whose authority is greater than his? That's not what the forgiveness of sins is concerned with. How it looks. Jesus is creating the DNA of his church right here. He wants this impulse to go to those that nobody else would go to. He wants that in the DNA of His church. He wants tax collectors. Forgiveness has no time to wait for the law police and the sin sheriffs to come around. Let the Pharisees talk, is what Jesus would say. But this time it would have went even further. Now you hear 
the Pharisees and the scribes here specifically, but even the common, Jew, the common Jewish citizen wouldn't have liked this. This is an enemy here. We all have our reasons for putting goalposts up around forgiveness. We all have people we don't want to go to with Jesus. We do. Like there's no need to run from that. We all have a group or a person that we think somebody else is going to have to do it. Right? We all do. But it doesn't matter what we think. Jesus has authority on earth to forgive sins. So He's going to Levi. He doesn't need our permission or approval to forgive even the worst of us. Right? He doesn't come to us first and say, look, I mean to forgive that person that you hate. Is that okay with you? Is it okay with you if I go to that group that you despise, if I send a missionary there? Is is it okay with you? I don't want you to be offended. The recipient of forgiveness believes who believes what Jesus has done, he's rejoicing. He's rejoicing. That's what in Luke 15 will make the Pharisees really mad. He's rejoicing. That makes the law police and the sin sheriffs even more angry in verse 30. So they ask that age-old question about Jesus in their minds, maybe if, that, they're, that I say that because they do ask it out loud in Luke 15. If he was really who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Messiah, he wouldn't be sharing table fellowship with sinners. And you can give them the crumbs from the table, I suppose, but you can't give them a seat at the table. But again, we miss the reason for Jesus' coming when we ask such questions. Jesus doesn't need us to guard anything for Him. Like, why would recipients of forgiveness want to put goalposts around forgiveness? It doesn't even make sense. He calls us to hand out the goods, whether they say trick-or-treat or not. Just give out the candy. Why does Jesus do such things? Why? Why does He touch lepers? Why does He eat with tax collectors? Because He has authority to forgive sins. Because He has diplomatic immunity from the enemy's accusations and from the accusations of the self-righteous. Those things can't touch Him. And thank God If anybody were to bring my rap sheet to Jesus and say, you cannot possibly forgive this clown. You can't. He would take it like he did 2,000 years ago and put it in his hand and let the nail drive through it and drive through his hand for me. For me. So he says what he said in verse 24 again. He just says it in a slightly different way. Here in verses 31 and 32. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why isn't Jesus eating with the Pharisees and scribes in this scene? He does go to their house too. But why here isn't he eating? Is it because Pharisees and scribes, you see, they can't be forgiven. No. No, they can be. 
Jesus isn't eating at table with them because they don't think they need to be. He didn't come to those who think they don't need Him. He stays away and gives them what they want. You don't want to eat with me. I eat with Levi. You don't want to eat with me. I touch lepers. You might get some on you. There aren't any on this earth who are well. That's the thing. There's just a plethora of people that think they are. There's there's nobody righteous on the earth. There's just people that think they are. And so Jesus is being very coy here with His authority. Like, do you want to eat with me or not? Do you want heaven's welcome or not? That's when Jesus won't eat with you, when you think you don't need Him. If you think you need Him, He'll eat with you for eternity. But if you think you're above the forgiveness of sins, there's not a seat at your table for Jesus. It's you that won't make room. He's a physician. He's not a politician. God has given Jesus everything. Jesus doesn't need to take bribes. Jesus doesn't need to gain the approval of those with big pockets filled with their own self-righteous works. He's heaven's surgeon. He's not come to call the allegedly righteous, but actual sinners to repentance. So which one of those things are you? He has come to give to sinners the gift of forgiveness that through His Word creates faith. Because it isn't in there to receive Him as Savior. This is Jesus Christ who uses His absolute authority to forgive sins. Absolute power in the hands of a human being is the worst thing imaginable for the human beings under that power. But all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus by God the Father. That means the authority to forgive sins, oh, that's just the beginning for us. He has the authority to make us sinners beloved children of God. Jesus has the authority to dress us in the white robes of righteousness for the feast. He has the authority to buy all that you need. He has the authority to give us a place in the new heavens and the new earth. He has the authority to create beauty from our ashes, to bring peace from our fear, to bring light instead of darkness. All authority in heaven and on earth is His. And He uses that absolute authority for us, not against us. For all who recognizing their own need for Him. Embrace Him. Lord, if You will, You can make me clean. On the authority of God's Word, I am telling You, not only does He will to do that to You, He will do that to You. Jesus isn't just filled with good intentions as some leaders certainly are. He has the authority to accomplish all that He intends. The only checks and balances are His to enforce.
And in the forgiveness of sins, beloved, there are none. That's the word. What He intends for each one of you is the eternal forgiveness of all your sins. Receive Him. Pull out the seat at your table and eat with Jesus. He has the authority to do all of this for you. Would you stand, please?